Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today, I want to get into a New York Times article. Once again, that bashes marriage, that bashes the family. Uh, I know I was going to do a history of the feminist movement, and I'm still going to do that, but probably not until September. So I'll do an episode on the full history of that movement. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I saw this article and I was like, I have to talk about this uh, because it's about J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, who's the pop singer and actress who married Ben Affleck recently. And she took Ben Affleck's last name. So she's now Jennifer Affleck. So the, the, the title of the article, it's an op-ed piece in the New York Times by Jennifer Weiner or Weiner. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But the, the title of the article is Why It Matters That J-Lo Is Now J-F. So it's no longer J-Lo, it's J-F. Jennifer Affleck. And so uh, she, the, the writer of this article says in the beginning, she says, it could be a plot of a Jennifer Lopez romantic comedy. Boy meets girl, boy and girl date, fall in love, get engaged. But alas, the nuptials are not to be. Boy and girl go their separate ways, each getting married, having children, getting divorced. They remain the, quote, one that got away to each other. And then older and wiser, they fall in love again. So kind of she sets this up as as kind of how they came back together uh, and ended up getting married. And I think they're in their both in their 50s. Yeah, I'm sure they are. And so. She goes on to say in this article, Jennifer Weiner, she goes on to say, the most recent nugget, J-Lo's decision, first announced in her subscription only on the J-Lo newsletter, to change her last name. And she says, quote, in the, in the newsletter, Jennifer Lopez says, quote, love is a great thing, maybe the best of things and worth waiting for. And she signed off, quote, with love, Mrs. 
Not Ms. Like the New York Times loves to say, she signed off. This is why I love this. Like she signed off Mrs. Jennifer Lynn Affleck. Now that's pretty bold to, to do that. Mrs. Jennifer Lynn Affleck for, for someone in Hollywood, a pop star to do that. And so the, the article goes on this, this piece goes on and she says, the writer says, true love wins, except also oof. She says, and then she says, Ms. Affleck. So she doesn't even use what Jennifer Affleck wants. She says, instead of saying Mrs. Affleck, the writer of this article says, Ms. Affleck may be surrendering to the power of love with this, her fourth marriage. But given the cringy history behind the practice, a woman taking her husband's last name feels to me like a submission, a a gesture that doesn't say I belong with him so much as I belong to him. And at this fraught moment for feminism in America, a woman like the former Jennifer Lopez deciding to change her name feels especially dispiriting. So this writer is very concerned that Jennifer Lopez took Ben Affleck's last name and that she goes by Mrs. Affleck. She's very, very concerned. It's hurting the feminist movement in America especially after Roe v. Wade has been overturned. It's a very sensitive time for the feminist movement. And she goes on to say, sure, taking your husband's last name might be a way of saying, quote, this is this is for keeps. But it is also a gesture inextricably rooted in peak patriarchy. So she, she again, she's using all the buzzwords of the day. And she says that, you know, changing your name to your husband's last name is rooted in peak patriarchy. And she says specifically in the 11th century laws of coverture. And she goes on to to talk about that. And and apparently in the 11th century, that's when in, in the West, in Western Europe, in England specifically, is when women started to take on a man's last name. And according to... According to an article, an essay in another magazine, uh, this the citizenry before the 11th century, the citizenry was known only by their first name. But as the population grew, however, keeping track of who's who became a bit more difficult. And the modern convention, relatively speaking, of using surnames or last names as an identifier soon became the norm. So I know in, in different uh, in parts of the East and I think in China, uh, this this custom was done much earlier. And then she talks about that in the 1970s is that's, of course, when, you know, the feminist movement really got going. That's when women started to keep their own surnames, their own last names, which is funny because it doesn't make sense because it's really their father's last name, which is the patriarchy. So. It's all the patriarchy. I don't understand how keeping like Hillary Rodham Clinton, Rodham is his or is her father's last name. So she's still using a male's, the patriarchy's last name. So it all is just complete feminist nonsense. And uh, she says that a subset of older, more educated big city brides who established who had established professional identities kept their last names before saying I do. So uh yeah, notice that it's again it's kind of like 
this coastal elite situation. Like if you're if you're more educated and live in a big city, you're going to keep your maiden name and not take your husband's last name. And again, it's just it's this whole feminist notion of pitting men against women, pitting the sexes against each other. And it's 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 so damaging to marriage. It's so damaging to the family. And again, I always say this, the New York Times is always shocked that there are so many problems plaguing our society, homelessness, mental illness, uh, incarceration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But they are the reason why this is happening, because this is all a result of the the breakdown of the family. And and these are articles like this. I mean, again, I talked about this uh, in the last episode on on this subject that the New York Times has at least three articles, if not five, six a day that are that denigrate the family or that are feminist that had a that have feminist underpinnings to it. And so it's all damaging. It's all damaging to the family. And we're going to get into the biblical biblical reasons why. And we're going to get into the biblical understanding of, of why it is important to for a woman to take her husband's name. And she says, she goes on to say, most of my female friends, doctors, lawyers, nonprofit executives, venture capitalists kept their names after marriage too. So I felt zero pressure to change mine. So she kept her her name Actually, she she changed her name because in her first she in her first marriage she changed her name to her husband's name because she hated <laughs> people mispronouncing her last name Weiner or Weiner, and so uh, I think that's her maiden name, but I'm not sure. And so she goes on to say, "Yes, it's sometimes complicated. My daughters have my first husband's last name." And then in parentheses, she says, my opposition to the patriarchy succumbed to my reluctance to saddle another generation of women with my awful last name. I have I have my last name. My husband has his buying plane tickets or showing up for a parent teacher conferences can be confusing. And I suspect if I didn't live in a deep blue coastal city, there'd be more raised eyebrows. And so, again, it's like it's it's the deep you know coastal cities the deep blue coastal cities as she calls them where it's uh it's a commonplace for a woman to keep her maiden name and there's many reasons for that we'll be right back after this short break okay and then she goes on to say the idea of taking a husband's last name always made me uncomfortable reminding me of the handmaid's tale and The Handmaid's Tale is that book by Margaret Atwood. And A Handmaid's Tale is a dystopian novel about, you know, how women in in the future end up becoming just, they exist just to carry the babies of the elites. They're kind of just vessels. And of course, you know, that the, the, the feminist movement uses that book and that movie or that TV, I think it was a TV series to scare women into thinking that's actually going to happen. And then she goes on to say, by changing her name, JLo is aligning herself with the majority of women in America. 
In the United States, only about 20% of women have kept their maiden names in recent years. Again, keeping your maiden name makes no sense for a feminist because you're, it's your father's name. So that's still the patriarchy. I don't understand. Uh, how, like how many generations do you have to go back to get to a non-patriarchal name? I guess to the beginning of time. But then she goes on to, to, to say that that these gestures, taking your husband's name, these gestures matter. Names confer identity. And married women continue to give up theirs, while married men rarely reciprocate. No matter what else changes, that power imbalance endures. Again, it's all about this Marxist power imbalance. It's always about power. And uh, it's not about mutual love and submission it's about uh, with the feminist movement and which is underpinned by a marxist uh ideology it's all about power and so so when a woman according to feminists according to a lot of women in in our culture taking on your husband's name is giving up your power it's capitulating to the patriarchy and <laughs> And it's just, it's so, it's so ludicrous, but it's actually something that we have to deal with because it's so damaging. It's so damaging to the culture, to society, to the world. And so she says, whether or not to take a spouse's name is a personal decision, but the personal is political. See, again, in our culture now, pers everything personal is political. The LGBTQ movement, that's all the personal becomes political and has become political now more than ever. And especially for celebrities, she says like every star or every mortal with an Instagram account, Ms. Affleck, again, she calls her Ms. Affleck instead of Mrs. Ms. Affleck has constructed a persona for public consumption. She has used her platforms to tell the tale of the upward traje trajectory of a strong Independent woman. Again, more buzzwords. These are buzzwords for the day. Strong, independent woman, power imbalance, all of these words that are so prevalent today. Uh, so she says she, uh, she has used her platforms to tell the tale of the upward trajectory of a strong, independent woman, a woman who has gone from backup singer to global superstar. Her brand is intense competence and hardcore self-sufficiency. Again, this is all about the self. It's all about individualism, expressive individualism. And um, she's self-sufficient. And then she goes on to say, whoever Jennifer Affleck is in her private life, J-Lo is a woman who might love a man but doesn't need one. Again, it's just this feminist combativeness it's like i don't need a man i don't need a man to control me um and it's just so toxic this this kind of ideology this feminist ideology is so deadly toxic and it's obviously pervaded the entire culture and since and it has this has been going on for decades but it's it's been ratcheted up recently and she she at the end of the article she imagines what what Jennifer Lopez could have said that would have been correct in terms of the feminist ideology 
She says, imagine if in her newsletter, Jennifer Lopez had said, quote, I love my husband. Right now, though, women are under attack. Are women under attack right now? I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. Women under are under attack and I won't participate in a tr- tradition that's historically rooted in women relinquishing their identities and their legal standing. I'm giving my husband my heart, but I'm keeping my name. Imagine if Ben Affleck had become Ben Lopez. She quotes somebody at the very, the last line of the article, she quotes somebody and she says, quote, people just view it as a nice tradition that doesn't matter, but it is about power and it does matter. So again, it's about a power struggle. Marx, Marx was all about the class struggle, but now it's, it's evolved into a power struggle (laughs) between an intersectionality power struggle. But now I want to turn to three reasons. And I got these from John Piper, three reasons for, for why a wife should take her husband's last name. Number one, he says that taking the last name is a longstanding cultural practice, which in itself isn't a great reason, but we're going to get into it more. He says, Culturally, that is the way it has been done for the West for a very long time. And to push against it usually signals a resistance to something good, namely that the man bears a special burden of responsibility and accountability for leadership and provision and protection in this relationship. And I think giving the family his name signifies that. And then a second reason is taking the name eliminates practical difficulties. So it's confusing if I mean, what, you know, what do you name your children? You know, if, does the child have the last name of the mother or the father? If the parents have two different last names and it can be very confusing for children and it ends up becoming unworkable because we, we don't know who's who and whose who's last name is what. So it's just a, there's a practical element to this. And the third point he makes, he roots in the Bible. And he says, taking the name signifies a husband's special responsibility. And he says, I think generally the Bible calls the husband to be, if he is physically able, the one who bears the special responsibility for leadership, provision, and protection. And he he goes to Ephesians 5 to to ground his argument in, and which is where I would go to. He says, I base this on Ephesians 5, 22 through 23, quote, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife, even as, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So Paul in Ephesians roots this headship of husbands over wives in the idea that of Christ being head of the church. So this isn't just a cultural thing for Paul. This isn't just something he's dealing with in his culture at the time. This is transcultural because he's, he's grounding it in this eternal thing that Christ is the head of the church. And then he, he goes on. He says, Paul continues, quote, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this is key too. husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So there's a big calling on husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's not just like men get off the hook here. Um, It's it's all we're all and I always say this. We're all submitting. 
everyone's submitting to God, to Christ. And the Father, even in the Trinity, the, Father, the Son submits to the Father and, and, and we're submitting to Christ. And, and so there's everyone's submitting and there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing, the culture uses that term submission as a, as a pejorative term, but it's actually a very liberating and freeing term. I love submitting to Christ because he's my king, he's my savior and Lord. And I find so much freedom and joy in submitting to him and being obedient to him, as I talked about many times on the show. And, and, Paul, and Paul goes on to say, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So again, it's a, it's a sacrificial love. And then there's a third piece to this, quote, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And then he says, now we have the third piece of provision and nourishing. So he's rooting all of this in, in Ephesians 5, which is totally legitimate. And he says that men being the head of the wife is a, is a huge responsibility and it's a burden. It's a very, and it can be sometimes a very costly burden. So it's not like, again, men are not getting, you know, off the hook on this, but this is how God designed marriage. This is how God designed marriage to be, to flourish in this world. When it's, when the roles are played out in his, in his way and his design, guess what? People flourish when they are, are not played out in his design. And there's this competition or this, uh, pitting, you know, of men against women, husbands against wives and not taking my husband's last name because I'm strong and independent guess what? That leads to divorce. I mean, the writer of this article, I think she was married and divorced like three or four times. I'm not sure. So again, God knows best. Father knows best. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> and John Piper ends this piece with saying, saying the following. He says that it is especially appointed because God has this man as an agent of his own care and provision and authority for his family. And the name over that family is very suitably the leader's name. That just makes so much more sense if you buy the biblical vision of manhood and womanhood. And again, if we, yeah, if we look to the word of God, if we look to the Bible, we see how human beings flourish and function the best in this world, in this fallen world. Uh, so I hope this helped you and don't, <laughs> if you're out there and you're feeling badgered by the culture, by society to, to keep your maiden name because it makes you a strong, independent woman. Don't believe that lie. Cause it's just stupid and it's a lie, but thank you for watching. And I, I definitely will get it to the episode where I, I do a breakdown of the history of the feminist movement. And, uh, but until then I will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more.
The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.